Last night, I had some quiet time. Just doing some brooding over this journey that we have commenced together. Thinking, what would a revival at Andrews University look like? I mean, a full-blown Holy Spirit revival. So I open up my Bible there in my little study at home. I find these familiar words. I'm opening up my new Andrews Study Bible at home. And I find these words, and I notice something interesting in the note. So if you're a freshman, you already have your Bible here. Take a look at Joel. little book of Joel. Chapter 2. Peter, you remember, preached these words on the day of Pentecost. So I want to share this with you, then we'll have prayer and plunge into today's teaching. All right? Joel chapter 2. Verse 28. I'm thinking, what would revival on this campus look like? God answered our prayers. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. So I jumped down. I want to read the note. And the author of the note, one of our scholars here, the author of the note points out that God's gift of His Spirit is not limited by three categories. And here come the three categories. Number one, it's not limited by gender. I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Doesn't matter the gender. Number two, it's not limited by age. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Young women see visions. And then number three, it's not limited by social status. doesn't matter who you are, who your daddy was. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. When, when the mighty outpouring comes, it is cross-generational, multi-ethnic, and it is concentrated where people are gathered together in one accord and are in prayer. And by the way, it's not just getting filled with warm spiritual fuzzies that the revival is all about because you drop down to verse 32 when that revival comes, it will come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord gets saved on that, on that spot at that moment. So I'm thinking, God, here we are. We've just embarked on this 40 days of prayer. What would happen if we were bound together with this passionate quest for Andrews University and the Pioneer Memorial Church, that at the beginning of this school year, you did something supernatural. You did something beyond the ordinary in our midst. That's why, guys, we have embarked on this 40 days and 40 nights of prayer. That's why last Sabbath I preached on it. We handed out the books as you left. We gave out last Sabbath 1,500 books. Gave another 250 out. People came that didn't have the books. Our opening night, September 1, here in the sanctuary. And because we have collectively embarked on this journey together, I am absolutely convinced that if you will join us, if you will be willing to commit the next 40 days to ask for a baptism of the Holy Spirit in your life and to pray for five lost people. As Edwin was just sharing a moment ago, pray for five lost people. I am utterly convicted that God will be released to do something He has perhaps never been able to do in our midst.
I'm dreaming of a revival. I am praying. God, we're at the end of time. Jesus is coming soon. You're not waiting for another headline. You're waiting for your church to wake up. Give me everything you have. And so here's the deal. I'm joining Pastor Esther and Matt. I need you to come out on Wednesday night. No, we, we, we need just the numbers, the sheer numbers, united in a shared passion. You're free Wednesday night at 7 o'clock? Come, on to this, come here to the sanctuary. We're out at 7.45. It's 45 minutes. We get, it's not a preaching service. We, get right, we move right into praying. If you could come, this, this business of all together in one accord in one place, why not? Come on. Come on out. Wednesday night. Share. share claim the promise of that outpouring. God will do something. God will do something we've never dreamed could happen in our lifetime. Why not? Please, do it for your pastor. Come on out and let's pray together Wednesday night. Let's pray right now. Oh God, Shua, Lua, Almighty God, save us. We can't save ourselves. We can't save this world. But we can go to our knees. And so, Holy Father, do whatever it takes. Band this campus together in a shared spiritual quest and leave us never the same again. We're not telling you how to respond. You respond in your own way. Just use us and fill us. And let this teaching, this critical teaching this morning, let it be clear to all of us. I humbly pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not going to say the government, by its response to this crisis, reminds me of God. But what I want to say is the Chilean government facing the mining disaster, the way they responded reminds me how God may be facing a very similar dilemma. I mean, you think about it. Everybody's following the story, right? Thirty-three men trapped one half mile down inside the bowels of this mountain. Hallelujah. Found alive and well. Then the government moves into the rescue and, and discovers that in order to drill a 28-inch hole through which they're going to extricate all 33 through solid one-half-mile rock, it will take them possibly until Christmas. And so the government announces a gag order on all communication. No, no fam, nobody say a word to them about how long this is going to take. We can't break their spirits. We can't dash their hopes. We can't crush their expectations. Mum's the word. Until last week, somebody spilled the beans. Yep. The health minister of the Chilean government himself, on purpose, through a line lowered through a tiny little tube that they've got going down to that little chamber, radio message to the men below, I'm sorry, amigos. But we're not going to get to you as fast as you think. It may take us until Christmas. And so, coming down this lifeline right now are antidepressants. 
take the pills and deal with your disappointment. I think of that dilemma and I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, wait a minute, isn't that, isn't that, isn't that the picture of God without the antidepressants part? Isn't that the picture of God looking down through the universe into the dark, collapsed mind shaft of this fallen planet? And there his children are entombed and he's, he's talking to everybody up on top. Hey, guys, what are we going to do? We can't tell them how long this is going to take before we can successfully extricate them from that hole. So what shall we do? Shall we tell them anything? Shall we, shall we parse out the secret portion by portion? Spilling the secret. The title of today's teaching from an ancient line written by a very minor prophet who packs a very major wallop. Prophet Amos. God through Amos saying, hey, I want you to watch how I spill the secret one portion at a time. Open your Bible up to the teaching today found in Amos, Amos chapter 3, Old Testament. If you, got, if you found Joel, you're there. It's the next book right after Joel. Find Amos chapter 3. I'm going to be here in my New King James Version. If you didn't bring a Bible, grab the Pew Bible in front of you so that you get, you'll be able to track this. Just one line. Amazing, amazing line. The very dilemma the Chilean government faced. God has been facing all these millennia. By the way, that would be page 618 in your Pew Bible. Amos chapter 3. To get to the line, I want to begin at the beginning of the chapter. We'll have a little run on to that line. Amos chapter 3. Pick it up, please, in verse 1. Amos chapter 3, verse 1. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you. You, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt. You're my people. You're my children. Listen up. You, verse 2, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Ouch! Because when you're on the inside, when you're a part of that inner circle, to whom much is given, how's it go? To whom much is given, much will be required. Makes me think of the words of Richard John Newhouse. Boy, he was spot on when he wrote, It is a fearful thing to be chosen. When you end up being chosen, it's no picnic. Of all people, I was counting on you. You let me down. Now God launches a series of seven rhetorical questions. Watch this. You know what a rhetorical question is, don't you? A rhetorical question is that question that implies the answer tucked inside of it. So that if I, if I say to you, this is, here's a rhetorical question. If I say to you, yo, isn't this a gorgeous day? I'm not hoping that you'll, res you'll respond, man, I hate it. I'm expecting that you're going to say, but of course. So here they come. Watch them. Seven of them. God lines them up. Here they go. Chap uh, chapter 3, verse 3. Rhetorical question number one. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Nope. How could I walk with you and you and I go for a walk this afternoon if we don't make an appointment together? You've got to be agreed. Rhetorical question number two. Will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Nope. He's going to roar when he's got it. Will a young lion cry out of his den if he's caught nothing? Nope. Rhetorical question number four. Will a bird fall into a snare on the earth where there is no trap for it? No. How could it? Rhetorical question number five. Will a, will a snare spring up from the earth if it has caught nothing at all? Nope. Rhetorical question number six. Verse six. If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people be afraid? Yep. 
And finally, rhetorical question number seven. If there is a calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? Got to have been. Then he goes, surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. In a deft literary twist, what Amos does is we're expecting another rhetorical question. Amos should have asked, will not the Lord reveal his secrets to his servants, the prophets? Yep. But oh no, he catches us off guard and he quickly moves from the interrogative to the declarative. And he says, yo, God will do nothing without first revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. Brilliant. One line. God has a, apparently, a select circle, an inner circle on this planet that he uses to spill his secrets. In fact, we could call the prophets God's secret spillers. I want to nail that point down before it gets past my mind and yours. Would you grab your study guide, please, right now? It's inside your worship bulletin. Pull that uh, study guide out. You didn't get a study guide, ushers. Let's make sure everybody gets it today because you're going to want this study guide. Just hold your hand up as our friendly ushers come your way up in the balcony. Those of you, those of you sitting in the overflow, we're glad to have you as well. If you need a study guide, just hold your hand up. We'll get a study guide to you. And while these are going out, I want to say to those of you watching on television, we're delighted to have you. You can have the same study guide. Go to our website. Let me put it on the screen for you. There you see it. The bottom of the screen, www.pmchurch.tv. You go to that website. You're looking for the new series. Brand new. This is only part two. The Gift. By the way, if you missed part one, it's already there in podcast and videocast. You can get it. It's sitting there right now for you. But this is part two in the title of this teaching, Spilling the Secret. When you get to Spilling the Secret, it says Study Guide right there. You click on, you'll have the same study guide we have. Delighted to have you. All right, let's go. We've we got to move. Amos chapter 3, verse 7. Let's jot it down. Put it on the screen. This is the verse. Amos chapter 3, verse 7. Let's put it up. It's a secret. Shh. All right, guys. Let's not wait for them. Come on, I got it on the monitor here. There it is. Good. All right. Surely the Lord God does nothing. No, I want to now get to the uh, fill in the blank, please. Let's go to the next one, please. There you go. Surely the Lord God does nothing. Will you fill that in, please? There are three key words here that you need to fill in. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret. Now, isn't it something, by the way, wh- how much of nothing is nothing? <laughs> nothing. God does nothing without revealing his secret. To his servants, the prophets. They, they are, in fact, keep your pen moving. We, we'll uh, go to the very next slide. God's prophets were his confidants. His secret spillers, we'll call them. Thus you can understand, ladies and gentlemen, theirs was not an ordinary relationship. God and his prophets. God drew them into his inner circle. That's why Abraham Heschel, the, the great rabbi of the 20th century, scholar, in his magisterial two-volume series called The Prophets. I've got those two books. I tell you, dynamite. Abraham Heschel describes the prophets this way. You'll have to fill it in. Put it on the screen. The prophet claims to be far more than a messenger. Notice what he's saying here. He is a person who stands in the presence of God. Who stands, according to Jeremiah 23, 18, who stands in the council. And by the way, I put that little sidebar in there because you need to know that the Hebrew word for council is the same Hebrew word for secret that we just read. God will, God will reveal his secret 
through this prophet. So this prophet stands in the counsel of the Lord. In other words, the secret counsel, who is a participant, Heschel goes on, as it were in the counsel of God, not a bearer of dispatches whose function is limited to being sent on errands. Now, here it goes. He is a counselor. Jot that in, please. He is a counselor as well as a messenger. The point. There is a very close and even intimate relationship between God and the prophet of God to the place that Amos, get this, the prophet Amos can argue with God to change God's mind. I want you to watch this happen. Just turn one page over, or maybe two pages in your Bible, to uh, Amos 7. Look at this. A massive locust attack has taken place in the northern kingdom where Amos is uh, ministering, the ten tribes. Massive locust attack. Amos is, is crushed by this judgment, this apparent divine judgment. So notice verse 2. And so it was when they, the locusts, had finished eating the grass of the land that I said, Oh, Lord God, forgive, I pray. Oh, that Jacob may stand. He is so small. Please be merciful to us. So, watch God. So the Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, he said. That's how close the prophet is. That's how close the prophet is with God. Changing his mind, attempting to. So that Hesho now, keep your pen moving. Hesho observes when the secret that Amos 3, 7 talks about, this secret that God reveals, when the secret revealed is one of woe. The prophet does not hesitate to challenge the intention of the Lord. As we just saw, 7-2. When the lives of others are at stake, the prophet does not say, Thy will be done, but rather, Thy will be changed. Jot that down. Thy will be changed. Amos just did it. By the way, that's what the prophet Abraham does. God, you don't... Whoa! God, you don't mean you're going to destroy Sodom, are you? Not Sodom. God, if there are 50 people in Sodom, won't you keep us alive? 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. Yep, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. The prophet trying to change the mind of God. Isn't that amazing? That's how close they are. Inner circle. In fact, would you jot it down, please? A very unique and close relationship has ever existed between God and His prophets. Very close. You can use the word intimate. Between God and His prophets. Now, keep going because the sentence goes on. Because such a relationship, and here's the key point, such a relationship manifested through the gift of prophecy was utterly essential and strategic in the divine gift of salvation. That's what's at stake. It's not about, uh, shall we have a gift called prophecy? No, 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 no. The huge, the huge issue is the gift of salvation. Driven by the desire to give that gift to the human race, God comes up with the gift of prophecy. In fact, weren't we talking about that last week? Weren't we in the garden last week at the gates, the locked gates of the garden? Two gifts. Remember that? Two gifts that God gave to the human race. Why? Because the Creator could no longer enjoy face-to-face communion. Some of you have been, have been brooding over that thought and saying, you know what, what's the big deal with that? Why, God, why don't you just go ahead and talk to us face-to-face? Ah, Look, it's not that God doesn't want to talk to us face to face. It's that he can't talk to us face to face. Look, when you go, when you go into a dark room and you turn on the lights, okay, where does the darkness go? Does it run for cover? Hide under the bed? Where does the darkness go? The fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, darkness and light cannot cohabit. 
the same space. When light comes in, darkness is gone. And that's why God cannot say, hey, Dwight, you, I want to come down. I want to meet you where you're having your prayers and worship today. So just uh, keep the door open. I'll be walking through in just a moment. God cannot walk into my space. You know why? Because there is still darkness in Dwight's heart. There's still darkness in my mind. There's darkness in my body. It clings to me or I cling to it. And if, he, if light walks into where that darkness is, boom, the darkness is gone. And if I'm holding on to that darkness in, in any way, whoosh, I'm gone. God says, I can't do this to you, boy. We're going to have to do this whole thing. Not face to face. I'll kill you. And I don't want that. And so he gives two gifts to the human race. Because we can't go face to face, God says, I'm going to give you a gift whereby 24-7, I don't care where you are on this planet, 24-7, we will meet face to face. Faith to faith. Look at this. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he, for she who comes to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God says we can't do face to face. But if you'll just lisp face to face, you'll get faith to face. We'll do faith to faith together. Prayer because I need to hear from you. And the gift of prophecy. Yeah, I'm going to give you a second gift at the gates of the locked garden. I'm going to give you this mysterious collaboration between the divine and the human, whereby certain select individual human beings, though their very human foibles and failures are more than obvious. Don't you miss next week, oh my, of maniacs and fools and other such gifts. It's heart-rending. They are utterly human. But in spite of their foibles, I picked them. And they will spill my secrets to you. Listen up to them. That's how I'm talking to you. Gift of prophecy. In fact, let's read it again. That's what's happening here. Amos chapter 3, verse 7. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless He reveals His secret to His servants, the prophets. I mean, you know, folks, just think about this. What does this say about the character of God? You know, He could have said, hey, adios. Don't call us. We'll call you. But instead, he gives two gifts because you, what, what is the passion of his heart? I have got to keep in touch with you. I'm doing everything, everything divinely possible so that we are never separated. What's it say about God? Does he love you or what? 24-7. 24-7. Wow. So why should we be surprised then to discover That when we trace the salvation story from beginning to end, look what we discover. Before every major chapter in the salvation story, just before the chapter is to begin, God raises up one of these inner circle secret spillers. Every time. Watch this. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Amos has been clear on that. Yep. The secret things belong to God. But those things which are revealed, the secrets He's already spilled, belong to us and to our children forever. Why, why is God sending these secrets? So that we may do all the words of this law. So that we may be in the heart of His salvation journey. The whole point of it. The whole point of it. It's because He wants to save you and me. That's it. Two gifts. To save the likes of you and me. So God, how does this work? You send your secrets down? I mean, how do you do it? New Testament now, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 to 21. And so, 
Peter says, remember, we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. How's this, how's this work? Well, you need to know this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's what's happening. God's taking His secret and entrusting it to this, this, these select chosen ones. They'll be my messengers. They'll be my prophets. They're, they are my servants. Read it again. Amos 3, verse 7. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless He reveals His secret to His servants, the prophets. Would you jot this down, please? It is the truth. Before every major chapter of salvation history's story, God first raised up a prophet. That's the point. God raised up a prophet to announce the divine secret of the impending salvation event. Let's, let, let, let's just check this out, okay? I, I, I want to share with you seven major chapters from salvation history. When that's over, I'll sit down and we're through. Seven chapters. Let me run these by you real quick. Keep your pen moving. Seven spilling the secret chapters in salvation history where God raises up a prophet first to prepare his people for what is just about to happen. Chapter number one, we'll just, we'll just, these, are not, these aren't all of them. I, I just picked seven of them, all right? Chapter number one, jot it down, the flood. And who would be the prophet associated with the flood? But, of course, our friend Noah. Yep. I mean, what a monumental chapter in salvation history. God's primeval creation obliterated by a global flood. Let's just read a, a few words from Genesis chapter 6. We'll, just, we'll read it off the screen. Then the Lord, you know, I read these words and I keep thinking... Am I looking at the third millennium? Is this the 21st century in my homeland? Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. He said, how can anybody be sorry that you made, you made that child? Listen, I have talked to some parents whose hearts are so broken over what has happened to their children that they dare to breathe the thought, I wish to God that we hadn't brought that life. Look what has happened. Don't you tell me that there aren't parents' hearts who are broken and wondering, did I do the right thing? God's no different. He's shown, he's shown as a parent. God says, look, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to destroy humanity whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them, but hallelujah, Noah got him. I found one. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It wasn't just Noah. There was a whole community, the community of Seth. I got Noah. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. And Noah, just like Enoch, Noah walked with God. It's possible in the most corrupt hour of human history. Isn't that great news? You can walk with God. Yeah. And so Noah begot three sons. You know them, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Oh, but let's hear a little bit more of the story. God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. The earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I'm going to destroy them with the earth. So here's what I need you to do, Noah. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it inside and outside with pitch. And how does Noah respond? Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. Inner circle. The secret spiller. You're going to tell everybody what I just told you. 
You know, when I get to heaven, I hope to have a quiet conversation with Noah. By the way, I already know what Noah looks like. I believe Noah looks like the, the cover of our bulletin, the, the, the picture that Ashley Peterson found. I'll put it on the screen for you. Let's put it on. Doesn't that look like Noah or what? Is that a picture of Noah? We, we Googled Noah and we found him. Look at that. That is Noah. If there ever were a Noah, there it is. Yeah. So anyway, I would like to sit down with Noah one day. And I say, Noah, listen, I have two questions for you. Question number one, sir. How did it feel proclaiming a truth that could not be proven? A truth for which you were ridiculed by the scholars of your age. How did that really feel? Then I throw in question number two. And why is it that you only preached one sermon the entire 120 years? No wonder you didn't have a congregation when you were through. <laughs> and while we're at it, I'm, I'm throwing in question number three. Why did you get drunk after the flood? I throw that question in for you to remind you that when God gets an inner circle confidant secret spiller, He doesn't look for somebody perfect. He needs somebody willing. We'll deal with those foibles and failures next Sabbath. All right, so there's chapter number one. We'll call it the flood. Noah's the prophet. Chapter number two, we'll call this one. Put it on the screen, please. We'll call this one the chosen. The prophet would be Abraham, of course. This is a massive chapter in salvation history because God is going to raise up a people, not because they're the greatest on earth. Are you kidding? God in fact, finally had to tell him, you're about the worst I've ever had, but I need to have somebody. Stick neck. Stiff-necked though you are, I need to have somebody. And you're it. Because I need you to take the light of my character to the whole world. Then I'll come. It's the only reason you ever get chosen. You're chosen for service. And they were. That's a massive chapter. Ha! Praise God. Oh, but there's chapter 3. Chapter 3, jot it down, will you please? The Exodus. Because the chosen end up... In slavery, of all things, the Exodus. And who's the great prophet with the Exodus? But of course, that would be Moses. And so God comes to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. Come now, therefore, Moses, and I'm going to send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Let my people go. That is a huge chapter in salvation history. In fact, do you know that that chapter becomes the prototype of the grand Calvary chapter? When the entire human race is released from the bondage of Satan, what God does through Moses in Egypt is a type. It's a foreshadowing of what Christ would do on Calvary's middle cross. That, that's huge. And then, guess what? Moses not only has one 40 days and 40 nights prayer period, he does double 40 days and 40 nights of praying. And in those doubles, he's alone face to face with God almost. And God says, take these Ten Commandments that I've written with my finger. Take this sanctuary system that illustrates the entire plan of salvation. I'm telling you, this chapter is huge. But it's not the end. There comes another chapter. Put this one down. It's chapter number four. This is the exile. Who are the prophets associated with the exile? Put Jeremiah. Right? Jeremiah. And then put the little Latin, et al. That means, and all the others. Because this was a string. For three centuries... God sends a string, prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet, prophet, begging, pleading, cajoling the people. You don't want to, you don't really mean this, that you don't want me to be your protector. Are you telling me that you don't want me to be your shield? Because if I step back, it's adios, it's curtains. I'm begging you. Keep me as your God. 
They're aping their pagan neighbors. Can you believe that? If the pagan neighbors do it, we got to do it. They're worshiping their neighbor's gods. God says you can't do this. You just can't. By the way, the string of prophets, listen to this. Obadiah, Joel, Jonah, Hosea, Amos, Isaiah, Micah, Nahum, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, and then Jeremiah. And the whole thing goes down the tubes at Jeremiah's ministry. Ah, but there's another chapter coming. Call it chapter number five, the return. Daniel. The return from exile. Daniel at all, because there are other uh, prophets as well. To prepare the people for one last probationary period. To prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. Daniel. Hundreds of years go by. Then comes the great chapter number six, salvation chapter in the course of salvation history, jotted down the coming. The coming. The coming of who? The coming of the Messiah, of course. And who's the prophet associated with the Messiah's first coming? John the Baptist. Got to be John. John the Baptist. So critical was this secret spilling prophet that God sent the, the mighty the angel Gabriel to alert the birth of John. Put this up on the screen, please. Luke chapter 1, verse 15. For he, John, will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before the Messiah in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the judge just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. How could there be a greater mission than to prepare a people for the, for the coming Messiah? Stupendous. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Seven chapters. So what was that one? Was that number six? Okay, here comes number seven. Coming part two. Did you jot that down, please? Coming two. Who's this one? Not John the Baptist, but this one's John the Revelator. And John, who opens his apocalypse up, he shows the, the uh, Amos 3-7 process. Look at this. We'll put uh, Revelation chapter 1 on the screen. John is describing how this process works. The revelation, the secret spilling of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which... Could you go back to that last slide, please? Things which must shortly take place. And he sent the secret and signified it by his angel to his servant John. And is John just a hang on to the secret? Are you kidding? No. John, who bore witness to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed. Now, notice the next verse. Blessed are those who read and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Every single time, ladies and gentlemen, God has something huge coming on the radar screen of, of salvation history. And boom, before it comes, He raises up a prophet. Seven major chapters. There they are in salvation history. And by the way, all of them clustered around the prophets and the book that the prophets have bequeathed as our legacy. This book right here. I want to read you these words. I'll put them on the screen for you. From that apocalyptic classic. Speaking of this book, what place does this book have in the life of this community? This is the apocalyptic classic, Great Controversy. Put the words on the screen. Words written a century ago. God will have a people upon the earth. At the end of time, he's talking about. God will have a people upon the earth to maintain the Bible and the Bible only as the standard of all doctrines and the basis of all reforms. Listen to this. The opinions of learned men, the deductions of science, 
the creeds or decisions of ecclesiastical councils as numerous and discordant as are the churches which they represent, the voice of the majority, not one or all of these should be regarded as evidence for or against any point of religious faith before, this is, this is our call, before accepting any doctrine or precept, we should demand a plain, thus saith the Lord, in response. God will have a people for whom the Bible and the Bible alone is their sole authority at the end of time. These 40 days of prayer, they're not just about praying. The 40 days of prayer have to be feasting from the Word. You say, I don't want to read the Word. Dwight, I'm just not really into the Bible right now. I just want to pray. Let me tell you something, my friend. If you pray without the Word, your prayer is nearly bankrupt. It is the Word of God that will empower and inform your praying. So in these 40 days, get into the Word. You got the New Andrew Study Bible? Get into the Word. Get into the Word of God. You don't have the Study Bible? Fine. Take any Bible you have. Just get into the Word. 40 days and 40 nights in the Word and on our knees. It's the combination. God will have a people at the end of time for whom the Bible and the Bible only is their sole authority. And by the way, in reading this Bible, I have come to this conclusion. Carefully studying it, I am convicted that before every major chapter of salvation history, God has raised up a prophet to prepare his people for what is yet ahead, leading me to wonder out loud with you. If that is true, that in every major chapter of salvation history, God has raised up a prophet to prepare his people for what is impending. Do you not suppose he would do the same before the return of Christ? Think with me now, this last sentence. I'm going to repeat it. If God has undertaken no major spiritual chapter in salvation history without first raising up a prophet to share that secret and prepare His people for what was just ahead, if that's true, and we've just seen that it is, then would it not be both logical and consistent to expect that before the most explosive and spectacular event in salvation history. I'm talking about the physical, visible, personal return of the King of Heaven and Earth the second time to this planet. The most explosive moment in human history. Would it not be logically consistent to expect that just before that event, God would raise up a prophet before the return of Christ.